And welcome to another edition of Across the County. I'm Noah. Thanks for joining me. Well, you know, things are supposed to turn out a certain way. I'm a firm believer in that. And I had a guest lined up. We were going to talk about so many great things, and I'm not going to throw them under the, under the bus. So not going to even bring up the topic or the name of the guest. We'll get to them at a later date. But when you need somebody to save the day, when you need somebody to come in and still talk about the important issues... I know who you turn to. I always go to Rick Elkin. He is an author, a political commentator. I am always pleased to call him a friend. And he's back on Across the County this week. He's an unabashed super spreader. No, not of COVID, of Americanism. Hey, Rick, thanks for coming on, taking a couple of minutes. It's always great to catch up with you. Oh, hi, Noah. Thanks for having me, man. I always look forward to talking to you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. He's author of The Illusion of Knowledge, Trump's Reckoning, which is what we are dealing with right now. We're going to get into so much. We'll talk a little coronavirus, but the election is upon us. Yes, it is still upon us. It's not over, despite what some of you might think. Nobody has been officially certified. We're getting through this legally, no matter how it turns out. Rick, what are your thoughts on this three-ring circus that seems to be going on in our presidential election of 2020? Well, it's disturbing. That's the term I use because I think it definitely um, creates a sense of uh, instability and, and concern amongst everybody, whether you're a Republican or Democrat or an independent, that, you know, there may be something wrong with our, our uh, election system. And, and I don't think there's any question, but there is. And it's probably something that's been percolating for a long time. But by adding this, um, you know, uh, mail-in ballot uh, option to uh, a national election, and then having all the states having different policies about how that works and how they're counted and this and that and the other, it's a formula for chaos. And I, I think Trump alluded to it. And, you know, if you go back in history, you can see that even the Democrats were um, suspicious of this kind of thing a couple of years ago in the 2018 election. Um, and there's countries around the country that have used it and then abandoned it uh, because it's just not practical. It, it's a, it's fraught with problems and um, so i think in an era where we're so unstable right now because of the health issues with covid and and the different states and the shutdowns and all these people losing their businesses and their their way of life and you know there's just so much going on to throw this into it i don't know how to describe it other than it's very disturbing and uh, uh you know i'm the kind of person who's pretty even keeled and I, it takes a lot to upset me or create somebody asked me the other day are you worried and i'm more often than not i'm not but i'd have to say right now after this mess uh and there's so much unknown about what's going to happen in the future and the anger and um the economy and yeah yeah, I look I'd at it like I'm this, Rick. I, I look at it like this. What is going on with the election right now? And this is my personal perspective. It is not a Trump issue. It is not a Biden issue. It's not a Republican issue. It is not a Democrat issue. It is a United States election freedom issue. If we don't get this one right, this election right here, uh, as one of my good friends, Andrea Kay, likes to say, elections in the future will only be for a theater of the mind. They won't have any substance to them. People probably won't vote because they know it's not going to matter at all. And so we have to make sure that the Constitution and the legality of this election right here is followed through to the very end, no matter the outcome. 
Well, if you were testifying in front of Congress right now, wouldn't you think that every person in attendance, every elected official, would agree with you? I would hope. To me, that there's just no question that if you're an American, you want this to be fixed. You want this to be looked into. You want this to be certified properly. And, and so I don't understand why anybody would object. Yeah, and I've always thought I've always thought this since I saw the mess coming. I'm like, okay, even though I knew what was happening and what was going on, Joe Biden, if you really want to convince the American people that you won this thing fair and square, that you are indeed the president elect, which you're not, but wouldn't you want to see this play out legally? You would have nothing to worry about, isn't that right, Rick? That's that's my thought. That's what I would think, and you know, I. And I, I think to some degree he's kind of alluded to that, but he doesn't want to actually say that outright because he can't. You know, he really can't. <laughs> but but the truth is that if you're an American, um, you have to support the idea of looking into elections that, first of all, are razor thin. Of course, the media denies that and says, well, no, this was a landslide. There's just no question about it. Look at the Electoral College. Well, the Electoral College is only what it is because the media said it is. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a problem we have here is we have the media confirming their own pronouncements, and, and, you know, we can't have that. They're not in charge. They don't run these things. They're simply, they should be observers. And, and here's one of the problems we have with our society nowadays. The media has injected itself into the operations of our country, and they shouldn't. They're supposed to be observers. They're supposed to simply look and report and let us decide. And now what they've done, and now what they've done, Rick, is they've made the American people believe that they determine the outcome of elections and what goes on in the political process when it it couldn't be further from the truth, as you just said. Exactly. This is the problem we have with what I call the illusion of knowledge. It's the media that's creating this illusion that Americans are informed. And if we rely on the media to inform us, we're being deluded so this is, I think, a very, very serious issue. It's, it's as important as our social media issues with Facebook um, mm. censoring people and, and uh, you know, not just Facebook, but a whole bunch of them are doing it. Twitter's doing that. And, you know, uh, to me, these social media um, uh, systems are essentially telephone systems. Um, they're just multiple. We have multiple listeners and multiple callers, but essentially they're telephone systems transmitting information from one end of the line to the other. And we don't have our telephone systems interrupting our phone calls and saying, hey, what you're saying, um, we deem um, untrustworthy. So stop saying it. Well, as I told you Imagine off the air, be careful. Happens. Be careful what you speak into the universe there, Rick. They might even cut off our interview here midstream. I know. Well, you know, this is a chance we take, but I think one of the things we've done over the years is broken up the monopoly of the phone system to create a much more competitive system. And now that's kind of going away with cell phones. And of course, the internet, once again, is interfering with our normal way of doing business. And so all of a sudden now we have this sort of ubiquitous communication system that, you know, the big tech controls. And, and for them to step in and interfere with um, personal, which I consider, you know, when you have, you're making uh, messages between friends, that's personal. For them to overlay a window on there and suggest that you're misleading people is none of their business. They, they should have nothing to say about any of that. 
Um, and, and if it leads to uh, social chaos, so be it. Well, one That's thing, a whole different issue. Well, one thing that they should do, especially if Trump's elected, I think this is something that needs to be revisited, which I don't think would happen under a Biden administration. But these publishing big tech media, social media companies need to be treated as publishers if that's what they are truly about projecting themselves as. Which means if you're a publisher, you are subject to rules and regulations and you will not censor the people that are being uh, using the, those platforms to get information out there. You, you don't have that, that right to censor like that. It's presumptuous to think that they have the right to interfere with communications between the users of their system. Uh, just like the news, they should be innocent and quiet bystanders. They're providing a communication system, but they should have absolutely no say about what is being said. Because, um, you know, we didn't appoint them moral guide, guidance for us. And, and that's what really bothers me is, first of all, they're the ones defend, defining the terms. They're the ones who say, well, whatever you're saying right now, we deem uh, misinformation. Well, who appointed you the moral guardians of information? What makes you think that you know what the truth is? And, and, you know, so we didn't do that. Nobody voted for you. Nobody, you know, who do you think you are, God? I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, so, and yeah, the president tweets all the time, Rick, and, you know, almost everything since November 3rd has been, I'd say, 80, 90 percent. Don't quote me on that, but it's, it's something around that figure. No matter what he tweets, it's it's flagged as either blocked so that nobody sees it or, hey, just want to let you know, this is probably, you know, it's not right. We don't agree with this information. It's, you know, it's not factual when talking about election fraud. And it's like, come on, you don't have that right. Okay, maybe under your policies and, and what that that you've written. But as a publisher, no, that, that's completely wrong. Well, you know, this is this is something that I think we uh, kind of a byproduct of what's been going on in our advanced educational system for the last 20 or 30 years is um, people believe now that they have, you know, uh, the right to stop other people from saying something if they're offended by it. So, you know, people who are using Facebook, you would think they would be the most liberal people in the world who want no interference whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it's turning out to be the opposite. More and more Facebook users are, um, willing to allow Facebook, you know, offices to interfere with the communications and essentially censor people that they are offended by. And so this is, I, I can't understand how anybody could think that way unless they were brought up that way. And I believe our schools have been, you know, essentially the default parents uh, of um, so many young people that now all of a sudden their values have completely changed and they don't understand how insidious and dangerous it is to have this kind of an attitude about, um, you know, pr providing or protecting their speech and stopping free speech. Um, so this, I think if anybody should be disturbed by what we're seeing recently, this is it. This whole idea that in America, the president of the United States tweeting could be censored is outrageous and unacceptable. I'll even say this. Okay, you want to block him because, it, you know, if he's complaining after Biden is sworn in, which personally I pray that doesn't happen. But if it does, 
then fine. I would almost, almost keyword, say, then you have the right to go ahead and flag his material. Guess what? It's not January. He is still president of the United States. How about a little respect? Well, you know, I think once you flag anybody, then you, you know, open it up to, okay, well, who... Who are we going to flag, you know, and who decides who we're going to flag? Mm. I don't think anybody should be flagged. I think it should be just completely, you know, I agree. wild, wild west. Let everybody say, because you don't have to listen. You don't have to to be involved. You can find a different uh, medium instead of, uh, you know, Facebook or Twitter or Parler or MeWe or whatever. There's so many out there now, and that's good because that's competition. So you would have alternative ways of communicating with each other. It's going to take a while for all of those to become popularized and become fairly competitive, but at least they're there. So my thought process is that somebody like Trump, let's say he doesn't become the president again, uh, instead of using Twitter in the future, he'll just switch to a different one. Sure. And he'll bring, sure. you know, whatever he's got, 60 million followers with him, and that'll legitimize that system and populate it. The left might not like it, Rick. The left might not like it, but the fact that he has been able to go around the mainstream media with Twitter has been a revolution in and of itself. And it's sometimes the things that he tweets, he knows he's going to get pushed back on it and he has succeeded in what he wanted to do. So maybe MySpace will take off again. And, you know, if he runs in the next election, he'll just, he'll put just all this stuff out there on MySpace. But I do agree with you, by the way, Rick L and my guest go to rickelkin.com you could find his latest article there that is actually in the escondido times advocate we're going to get to that in just a moment without even trying but he is such a master at making sure that he is able to get his message out there and that's one thing that i've loved about him whether you like what he says or you don't, he knows exactly what to do. That's why he's a businessman. That's why he's put America first. And he's going to continue to do that, even if he doesn't egg this thing out. I believe the reason he was originally uh, elected was because he called out fake news. Yep. I believe that was really the, the what I used to call the, uh, um, the, what was the main reason that so many Americans came out to vote for him, even though he wasn't your traditional uh, Republican. Um, you know, the fake news is something that's been uh, bubbling under the surface for years. And a lot of people didn't really understand it. They knew there was something wrong. They got resentful of watching the news at night and saying to themselves, you know, that, that doesn't jive with what I know. That doesn't make any sense. And But then all of a sudden, here comes this guy that put a name on it. That's one of the cool things about Trump is he's good at coming up with a brand and putting a a name on things that summarizes the whole thing so you don't have to go back over it all the time and just talk about fake news. And, you know, now we have lots of people talking about, you know, social media issues and censorship and all this. But the truth of the matter is he's the one who really started this whole analysis of uh, our social media and news. I call it the Franken-media monster it's a cabal and and it and it's dangerous and once it now it's assumed a certain amount of power of course if biden becomes the next president it really will have energized that monster and given it you know life that it otherwise wouldn't have had it'll get worse Um, it'll get much worse and much bigger and much stronger and you know the the college campuses which are already pretty much overrun with leftism they're, they're just 
walk down into it, and then they're going to give free, you know, tuition. Oh, why not? Well, let's send all of our kids to these uh, indoctrination compounds. Let's do it free. Yeah. Well, I know you agree with me on the education system, Rick. I think that the left has been planning uh, the takeover and the transition of America for a very long time. I think it's been a decades-long mission, and I think it really all started very covertly in the education system, especially when we're talking about our higher institutions of learning. No question. You know, I tell a story in my recent book about I was um, in 1970, I was a sophomore in college. And, you know, I wasn't a great student. I got, you know, C pluses and B minuses and all that. But one thing I was is very active student. So when we had discussions, I was always involved. And a lot of my professors liked that. And so one of my social studies professors uh, took me aside one day and said, would you be interested in doing a student exchange? And I said, well, what does that mean? He says, well, we'll send you to, in this case, we're going to send you to the USC campus for a day. And you'll get a chance to spend some time there and, you know, uh, see how they do things. And you know, they'll send a couple students to my school, which was Cal State Long Beach. And I said, yeah, I'm up for that. My brother went to USC. I'd love to see that campus. You know, let's do it. So I went. Well, I ended up spending six hours um, locked in a room with a, a bunch of leftist, radical leftist students, a Black Panther, uh, a uh, Latino, uh, what's the, La Raza student. I remember you telling me the story, yes. Yeah, and so anyway, they, they interrogated me. I was like I was being a prisoner of war, and they interrogated me for five hours and really intimidated me, and I had to agree with them just so that I could get the heck out of there. And anyway, that was in 1970, and the subject of that, discussion with them was that I was a privileged white supremacist Mm. and an anti-female Republican. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't even a Republican at that point in my life. Uh, You know, I was a a leftist, anti-war hippie, (laughs) but I was white. And so anyway, the point I wanted to make about that is that this kind of stuff has been happening since the 70s, yeah. early 70s, 1970s. So you're looking at 50 years of this five decades of our schools being run by leftist professors, and they are not just indoctrinating. It's, it's much worse than that. It's, it's, um, Re-education, it's if you ask me. Re-education, Rick. That's what it is. It, they're stealing people's identity and in, imposing a new identity on them. Um, I just gave a talk to uh, some people up in uh, Ramona not too long ago, and I, afterwards I had a bunch of people come up to me and say, you know, you're the first one that's ever identified this, but I am brokenhearted because I've lost contact and, um, you know, any kind of relationship with my children. And I said, well, how old are your children? Well, they just got done with college. And I said, so what I was talking about really resonates with you. And they say, yeah, when they left, we had a great relationship. When they came home, it's over. They wow. don't care about me. They don't like me. They don't respect me. Yeah. They never call me anymore. And every time we sit down to have dinner together, we end up in an argument because they've completely converted to progressivism, and they think I'm an old relic of a lost era. Wow. 
Yeah, that's very, it's very scary. It's very scary, Rick. And I think it's even, it's come into what is really resonating with the Democrat Party going into this 2020 election, which is why they're trying to steal it, if you ask me. And again, if there's a Democrat out there listening, I just want a fair election, no matter how it turns out. But you can't deny that that's what their platform is. And that's where I want to get to your article people can find in the Escondido Times Advocate without even trying. It was said that President Trump, probably one of the most dynamic people to run for president in history, and I agree with that, and, and I've loved him every step of the way. I think he's always put America first, which is the platform that he runs on, and he makes it look, when you're looking at the way he does it, he makes it look so easy. And then they even said what he needed to do for re-election was increase slightly his popular vote. Also, he needed to win the suburban woman vote and the minority vote. And if he did those three things, that he would, with a landslide victory, win the presidency for a second term. He got 10 million more votes in the popular vote than he did the first round. He won the suburban woman vote, and he also had a great support in the minority community. Yet, Joe Biden was able to still supposedly overturn all these states that Trump was winning on election night. And he, Joe Biden supposedly, explain this to me, Rick, got more popular votes than President Barack Obama, which, like him or not, was also one of the most dynamic people in presidential history. This doesn't add up. The math is kind of fuzzy, Rick. Can you connect the dots for me? Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole point of the article is that, you know, have we ever had a worse candidate run for president? I mean, I can go back. I'm 70 years old, so I've watched a lot of different people run for president. And there's been a variety of them, and, and some of them were better than others, and and so forth. But I don't think I've ever seen anybody try less hard to become the president of the United States. I mean, the guy hid in his basement. Um, you know, when people would ask once in a while, when he would grant an interview with some softball journalist, you know, they would say, so what's your position on such and such, uh, Joe? And he would say, oh, well, just go to my website. It's all there. And that was his answer for everything. Everything is on his website. Um, you know, so in the meantime, here's Trump out there going around the country, holding rallies four or five times a day, speaking 90 minutes at a time, pretty much off the cuff, attracting thousands of people and sometimes two or three times as many people not even being able to get into the rallies. And Biden, if he was lucky, would attract 20 people. And to a town hall yep. or to a rally, I guess you could call it a rally somewhere where people would park in their cars, honk horns, most of which were planted. I mean, you have to be, you have to be really, um, I don't know, whacked to look at that and not see something's wrong here. There's just no way this man garnered 10 million more votes than Barack Obama, who, well, like him or not, is one of the best orators any presidential candidate has ever been. Maybe as good as Abe Lincoln. Barack Obama is a brilliant orator and a, a motivational speaker. Can't deny it. And I don't agree with him, but I honestly, a lot of times, I mean, I was mesmerized by his ability to command an audience and really articulate his arguments and everything else. Here's the opposite of that. Joe Biden can't articulate anything. Exactly. All he would ever do is say, go look at my website. 
Well, I, well, I said what I said, Rick. I said what I said about Trump it, uh, not even trying. Yeah, he obviously did try, but he does make it look easy. But your point, and I said it the way I did for a reason, and I'm glad you came back with what I thought you were going to say, is you didn't see Joe Biden anywhere. Half the campaign, he was in his basement. You know, half the time he was stumbling over his words or not remembering where he was or being asked about what his favorite ice cream flavor was. I mean, I have seen so little evidence effort and i'm supposed to believe what these these election results are Uh, i'm smarter than that i'm sorry and i'm going to continue to make sure all these dots connect until they actually certify who the president is and even then i'm going to be probably fed up to wherever i think what what you and i and people like us have to do is occasionally um, try to speak with friends of ours, and I have quite a few that, you know, voted for Joe Biden or or at least told me they were going. Which is fine. Um, which is fine. You know, I don't, I don't have, I don't lose friends over politics. At least I try not Amen. to. Amen. I mean, sometimes they may lose me, but, <laughs> but I don't lose them. But, uh, and that's happened. But, but anyway, the point is, I think if, if we could talk to these people, we have to ask them, don't you think it's important that our voting system in a in a constitutional republic is solid and dependable and reliable. And if that's true, why would you object to looking into this? Because clearly, you know, you have uh, security systems on your home computer, right? Yep. So why do you have that? The reason you have that is because you're concerned about being hacked. Right. Now, we're running all of our elections through computers. Why wouldn't you support the idea that we check out and make sure these systems are secure, not just for this election, but for every election in the future? And, and, and also, let's look at it from a local standpoint. If there was any interference or people were getting to vote that shouldn't have been able to vote or uh, ballots that were accepted that you know, didn't weren't properly labeled or submitted after the election was over, things of that nature... When you get down to local elections, it's really critical because a lot of times there's only a thousand people in a certain district that even vote, and the election can be changed by five or ten or fifteen votes. So we have to be careful that we make sure that all votes are counted, but those votes have to be legal votes, That's right? Not just casual votes. I'm sitting in the car with my dog, and she's she's spotting somebody out there that she doesn't recognize probably okay, somebody okay. that doesn't like this conversation rick i know that much Yeah, i think you're right i'm being spied on is what's happening <laughs> so anyway so i think this is what we have to point out to our friend our liberal friends that you know if you really believe in america and you believe in the fact that um, america is based on the idea that the people run the government not the other way around then the only way that works is if we have legitimate and dependable elections and if we're going to use computer systems in any way, shape, or form, first of all, we have to have a national standard for federal elections. That's right. States can do whatever they want. Cities can do whatever they want. But as far as federal elections are concerned, we have to have a national standard, and we have to have a way of identifying these ballots so that we know they're legitimate um, and, and absolutely eliminate the possibility of outside interference, uh, which you think these are the same people that accused President Trump being, you know, uh, a pansy of, of the Russians, uh, and they thought that somehow the, our, our election, his election was interfered with. They're, now, all of a sudden, they're like, oh, yeah, this is the most secure election in the history of America. What? 
Yeah. Oh, I, I just about lost my lunch when I heard that. I was like, okay, you can kind of, uh, you know, skate around certain issues, but you're telling me that the 2020 election, even if it's legitimate, that it was more secure than any other election. My friend, look at yourself in the mirror because that was not a good statement to make. Bingo. Well, I'll tell you, Rick, uh, I agree with you on every point you made, but I would say this. It's it's cheaper to do it with paper ballots. It's more secure to do it with paper ballots. It probably won't go back to that. But if there's any real conservatives, if there's any real Americans listening, and you want to make sure that our elections are fair every time, put your, you know, your, your federal elections, make sure there are checks and balances, and go back to the old way of doing it, because that is the way that we're going to secure these elections going forward so that this never happens again, no matter who is president of the United States. Well, I think Brazil has learned that lesson, and that's exactly what they've done. And I would support the idea of having a three-day weekend, uh, you know, semi-holiday for elections. Um, as it is, everybody already knows when election day is. We have plenty of time to prepare. But I think it's so fair to say that some people, because of their particular um, employment or maybe they're in the military or maybe they just happen to be, you know, disposed and can't get to a ballot place or a polling place. Um, okay, give them three days. And for any of those who are out of the country and can't be here for a significant amount of time, okay, then they can have a mail-in ballot. But it still has to be postmarked by the end of that weekend. I'm fine with all that. I think that's great. And I, and I think that that's something that we could probably get bipartisan support on. Uh, but I think this idea of having if different systems all over the country, different um, a mess. You know, rules and regulations and time frames about when the ballots can come in, how they can come in, insane. doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I will go even a little bit further, and we're wrapping up here with Rick Elkin, that I think if you can't make it on Election Day, because it's the same day every election, you know it's coming up, you know it's November 3rd, if you can't make it on Election Day, if you're not in the military, because military should have those, you know, obviously they're deployed, they have special circumstances, fine. If you can't make it on election day, I'm sorry, you're going to miss out. You're not going to be able to vote. It's too important to risk the foundations of our nation on something and uh, have fraud be able to happen. I'm not okay with it. I totally agree. And I don't think it's that hard to do. It should be something we should easily be able to implement and clean this mess up so it never happens again. You know, if we can fix this and we can get past this COVID, maybe we can get back to some semblance of normalcy. Um, having said that, it really disturbs me. Really, really quick, Rick, we're running out of time, as we always do, because we have dynamic conversations. I want your 60-second opinion on the new California curfew by King Gavin Newsom. Now, between 10 p.m. and I believe 5 a.m., we have to stay in our home. What is your thought? Well, I've said all along for years now that I believe California is a petri dish for progressivism. And um, I believe progressivism is simply a rebranding of traditional communism. And these are the kinds of things that uh, top-down management systems do to control people. And, you know, there's no evidence whatsoever that any of these lockdowns have really stopped the COVID transmission COVID is a virus. It's never going to be completely stopped. Um, so really, we have to look to therapeutics to fix this. Having said that, I don't have a problem with people being encouraged to stay out of social conditions and that kind of thing. But this idea that the government can come in and completely eviscerate your, your freedom, 
unacceptable. And the fact that a guy like this, who really has no experience in anything, how he ever got to be elected governor, that's a whole other issue uh, that we could probably spend a lot of time talking about. But, I mean, you know, he between him and Andrew Cuomo, we've got two dictators on either side of this country that are the most arrogant, you know, I just find them insufferable. And uh, so I, I don't intend to honor anything he says. You know, I'm 70 years old, so I pretty much stay out of the public right now anyway because uh, I don't want to get this disease. Well, but sure. And that, as you said, well. as somebody that's aware, you'll be able to make that choice yourself. Say, hey, I don't want to get it. I'm going to be a little bit more precautious, but you don't need some government official telling you to do so. I totally agree. And, you know, let, let the parents decide what to do with their kids as far as schools and playgrounds and all that kind of stuff. You know, this is insane. And, and, and all it does, it goes right back to the same old issue of the presumption of ignorance that, that these progressives believe people are too stupid to take care of themselves. So they need to step in and provide a nanny state to make sure that we're all safe. Well, you're not going to freedom. Well, you're not going to get the Rick Elkin 19 uh, because he is the unabashed super spreader of Americanism. And Rick, I think we're going to have to have you back on and do an entire show on the coronavirus because there's so much there there. But I wanted to get that in for the last part of our conversation. You can go to rickelkin.com. There you're going to find out so much his books, which he's written several great books, The Illusion of Knowledge, also Trump's Reckoning, which is still my favorite, and others as well. You can find about his op-eds in the Escondido Times Advocate and his recent piece, which I suggest you read without even trying, really get to break down this election in so many different ways for you. Thanks for coming on last minute, Rick. We'll have you back on real shortly. And it's always a pleasure talking to you, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Rick. Noah here on Across the County. Stay tuned. More coming up.